Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast, Strong Opinions, weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing on this Saturday morning? Yeah, we're doing Saturdays. It's kind of odd. Doing good. We're a week removed from coming back from the NASCAR race, Um, and it's been uh, good. It's my first week of summer. We're in full water polo swing right now, so having a good time uh, with my boys. They're a bit out of shape, um, but we're getting them ready to go. Uh, all that preseason work, all that fun stuff, um, it's good. Um, we just work out for about two hours a day, and that's keeping me in a pretty good steady routine. Um, so it's been going good, having a good time. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Slow season for sports. It's the slowest season. There's still baseball going on, obviously. Various soccer um, leagues, you know, women's soccer, men's soccer, uh, NWSL and MLS. And then we have uh, international soccer. And then the Euros come here for the summer, which is, that started about mm, 10 years ago. Yeah, just about. All the big teams come over here a lot of english soccer teams in fact uh a couple of spanish ones too yeah a couple of spanish ones uh dortmund sometimes comes from germany yeah um the Wrexham team which is owned by uh what's his name the two actors uh right uh, yeah ryan reynolds, ryan reynolds and yeah. the other guy whose name i can never remember from always sunny philadelphia their team is here. They competed in a tournament, I think, last weekend in North Carolina. And it was a bunch of nobodies, which, I mean, they're a smaller level team. And then they're going to be, I think, in San Diego in like a month. So they're doing a tour around the country. Nice. I think they're playing in Texas as well. So uh, chasing them down. Um, and then we've got, but basketball's dead, football's dead. Uh, obviously no hockey, so um, there's still motorsports and golf on the weekend, some tennis, but this is my slow, summer's actually my slow time of year, fall's my busiest sports-wise, um, particularly the month of September, it's like everything, September, October, like all the sports are going on, because football's going on, and football, hockey starts back up, basketball's now starting in like late October, college basketball, so... That's when things are really funky for me. So it's this time of year and the week of Christmas is the dead dead time for my yeah. work. But other than that, summer's kicking off. Um, took me a couple days to – these trips get harder to recover from. And we didn't even – we didn't even party that hard. We didn't even party. We, we, we had a good time. The first night I was there – I was there with the two other colleagues. It was before you guys got there. We got there on a Thursday. We tried to go to Moonlight. It was closed. Uh, we tried to go to Cooperage. It was just closing. And then uh, ended up at our at Russian River for a late night. Uh, well, actually, we started at Hen House. We started at Hen House and had dinner at Hen House with a food truck. The food truck was fantastic. Um, and then 
ended up at Russian River. And then the night after you guys got started at Russian River, yep. we met up at Moonlight, did Moonlight, then went to Cooperage, uh, went home. Saturday, I don't even remember what we did Saturday. What did we do Saturday? Dang. Oh, Saturday we, we did hop. We just went to In-N-Out. And, That's uh, right. We Yeah, Saturday we knew it was going to be really late, long. Started, it was a long day. We just went to In-N-Out and then had a couple beers. Had a beer. I think all of us had one beer, one beer. in the hotel room and then we're done. We passed out. And then Sunday night we ended up at Hot Monk. Yeah. And which one of our friends had been to before and still swears <laughs> he's never been to. Uh, even yesterday. Nope, never been there. But no, legitimately, he had no recollection of being there a year before. It was like, hey, we should go to this place. Uh, yeah, we, 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 we went there. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. Um, no matter how much Colton tried to explain. Yeah. Him, yeah, Colton, Colton had a very vivid recollection. Like, we sat at this table. I sat at that chair. Tim sat at that chair. Nolan sat at that chair. Will sat at that chair. I had this food. He had that food. You had this. Nope, none of this happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then wound up at the hotel with our friends from las vegas motor speedway slash sonoma and had a couple more beers and had racer fives had racer fives in sonoma in county, sonoma <laughs> county but still out of the bottle still not on tap uh so hopefully by the time we go back to either uh pliny the younger trip or another or an unscheduled trip to sonoma uh Bear Republic has merged with Drake's and they're reorganizing some things. So hopefully we will be able to go or we'll just go the 20 more minutes past Windsor to Healdsburg and take the leap and have beer there. I don't know, but we need to go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, got back. Took me. It's just it's a lot. It's more. It's not physically taxing. You you, you observe what I do. People have you guys. People are listening. To this like you're at a sp- sports event. W- what's the big deal? It's I won't go into any details, but <laughs> this sounds strange to anybody listening. You're probably like, yeah, whatever. It's very mentally taxing. It's just at the end of the day, I'm just like, I don't want. To, don't ask me any questions. I don't want to be bothered. Uh, by the time I got home, I was like, I need peace and quiet. Leave just like nothing. Just I want to sit in silence and. Yeah, it's, it's very mentally draining, and there's so much – because Tim is contracted out with the track, like, if you were a normal, like, NASCAR photographer uh, or, like, he was just overseeing those types of things, uh, he wouldn't have to uh, coordinate as much as he has to, but because he's hired on with the track, he has to literally show everything that the track is doing over the course of the entire weekend. So anytime that somebody's out signing autographs, he has to have a photographer there. If there's any time they're doing like uh, just like parties like for people before the race, they need to be there. If there's an air show, he needs to figure out where his photographers are at all those times. They need to run cards into him. He has to keep cycling through, getting all that kind of stuff, sending them back out to their different areas as well as getting the race, making sure that they're getting sponsor billboards, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's after race stuff that happens where it's like, okay, they're doing a concert or they're doing a, they're playing music over here or they're 
doing a cornhole tournament, whatever. Yeah. Tim's got to take photos of all of that. And so and schedules um, are changing and no one's telling me. And right, oh, yeah, exactly. you didn't know about that. No, it wasn't on my list. And then on top of that, Tim's also cropping photos and trying to make sure that he can get them up. So that way he can get sales uh, for them as quickly as possible. So if there's any like crashes or wrecks, because those are big t- items, cards got to be ran in. He's got to cycle through 250, a thousand different photos to find the ones. Yeah, we then, uh, we took over three days. It was two and a half terabytes of images. So right, and so uh, yeah, I can see exactly how that would be extremely like, mentally draining, and especially like, and it never stops. Like it never stops, and I'm stuck in a room. It's granted, it's air conditioned. They they've got food, soda, water, but I'm stuck in a room, and there's a NASCAR race like a hundred yards away, and I'm like. Uh okay, I'm gonna go out for like three laps of this thing just so I yeah. can be like, yes, I was at a NASCAR race. But yeah. otherwise, everyone else is out looking at a NASCAR race, albeit working as well from our team, but still. Yeah, and it just it's again they run good programs at these tracks where there's something that's going on constantly, um, which is really cool. But at the same time, like for for Tim trying to get pictures of it all, it's it can be extremely taxing. He never complains, like. But I'm just so like Jess. No, I never complain. So Jess Fear, I... if you're listening to this, like <laughs> Tim's not complaining, but he's no. just like he's just like it is uh I do bust thing. everybody's chops though, just to keep it <laughs> lively and yeah. keep everyone on their toes. So uh beer of the week. Yeah, we're uh, drinking This is delicious. Yeah, it's really Should have bought more. Uh, this is called the Waimea Skays. Uh, it's 100% New Zealand Waimea hops. Um, we were talking about it uh, just before this. We need to get just one day we'll do like a beer tasting where we just get some beers from a variety of different people that all just focus on particular hops because there are different ones where they're like, this is a solo hop. This is a solo hop, solo hop, solo hop. And kind of get the full spread of what all the different hops taste like so that way we can sit there and be like, okay, so if I see citra hops on something i know that it has this kind of flavor profile right um and i think that'd be kind of interesting um but this is from alvarado street um it's hazy it's seven percent um nothing to report on the can it's got a nice little ocean kind of look to it um yeah alvarado's they don't spend any money on their marketing like yeah half, they of, do, the, half of the can is just a yeah can. they do half <laughs> labels so which i which i'm fine with but uh and alvarado always it's always a bit of a uh, what do you call it? Uh, c- cognitive dissonance for me because I I read Alvarado and I'm thinking like Oakland or Los Angeles and no, it's in Monterey and I'm you know there's Alvarados probably all in most large towns in Cal- right. in California but still I'm thinking Oakland or or some part of like downtown Los Angeles. It's this, nope, it's in Monterey, but they're very good. My I have one complaint and it's not really for Alvarado Brewing Company. It's a trend. Uh, hazies aren't your favorite, which isn't to say you don't dislike them. It's just on the, on the list of IPAs, it's not at the top of your list. Yeah, definitely. Where not. I would say other people within our group, hazies are probably at the top of their list, and the the more old school classic is probably second or third for them. My complaint is this is the third or fourth beer I've had in the last month that just says IPA on it. There's no hazy. There's no New England. And I'm sorry, this is either a hazy or a New England. It's not clear. 
It says hazy on there. Does it? It does, but oh. it's it's in fine print down at the bottom underneath Alvarado Street, hazy IPA. Oh, okay. I I thought I just saw IPA. Okay, well then I take back what I well I take back what I said about that. But it is a trend I've been noticing. In fact, you and I had a beer. I think either the last episode we recorded or the one before it was called the uh, Rambunctious Barbarians or something Ven- Vengeful Barbarian I think and it just says West Coast IPA but it's same like same kind of thing or it doesn't say West Coast it just says IPA there's no mention of hazy or New England but it's not clear in its color it's murky uh, it does have a West Coast bite on the on uh, like a hoppy bite on the back which Andy noted noticed when he tried it super listener Andy but it's still like it's more like a hazy or a West Coast and I, there's some other beers I can't remember what uh, off the top of my head that have been like that later so I I think they're just kind of like we're just gonna stick IPA on there, which is fine. Yeah, it's uh, it's all loose categories anyway. Yeah, and like for those that I think we've talked about it before, for those that don't drink IPAs, IPAs have a flavor profile. We talk about it being a triangle, although now you could probably make the argument that it's more of a square, um, where uh, you have uh, tropical notes, you have. Uh, citrus notes or you have pine notes that's the original triangle but now as the square kind of developed now to where you have more of a dank flavor uh, yeah. where i would think that you could go to the four different corners um and so uh hazies would be down like if you put pine up at the top of, of on the triangle or you put pine and dank up at the top bar and then you put uh tropical and citrus on the bottom bar uh, hazies are all the way down at yeah. like the tropical, uh, um, uh, citrus flavors and they're really thick and they are very juicy. That's why they're also called like juicy IPAs. The word I use like, for those is lush. Yeah. It's they're, very... yeah. So those are going to have more of the texture almost of like, uh, pulp free orange juice. Um, and yes. a lot of times they have the flavor of, you'll be like, this is like pineapple or uh, orange juice or whatever. Yeah. It's very uh, much that way. Whereas if you have like a West Coast IPA, you're going to feel a lot more of that dank pine flavor, um, a lot more of that bitter hop um, up at the top of the uh, pyramid or the uh, square. And so it's uh, those are going to be bitter. Um, they're going to be crisper um, uh, and a lot more clear. Yeah. Um, now, that being said, you can find lots of different hops that where it's like uh, you can find other IPAs that are on that same level as the West Coast, but they may have a little bit more citrus infusion. Like um, grapefruit, but they still have the bitter flavor. Right, exactly. Um, there was one. Sculpin, even if you don't have grapefruit, is yes. is the pine-citrus kind of combination um, where instead of it being fruity, though, it's more like you're having like, a, like an orange rind um, kind of thing. So... Uh, again, it's very bitter still. So, but that's how tasting IPAs work. Okay. Do you have any cleanup or aisle five? No, I don't think so. I've been trying to. I don't know. It's always hard when you. Uh, Tim does all of our editing at the moment, um, and. Uh, so he listens to us a little bit more regularly than I do. Um, and so I've been trying to do my best to listen to us, um, (laughs) as we go through and I, uh, and it's always just so hard, like listening to yourself. Yeah. Um, You're just like, oh man, we are, 
you know, I was like, we, I feel like, again, this is still a learning process of how we're getting through it um, and that kind of stuff. I think we're, we've grown a lot in our year. We have, and we've been, you know, we're still even to this day trying to improve the sound quality and stuff like that. One thing I have started doing is uh, just kind of breaking the fourth wall here for the listeners. Uh, I've been, I had been heavily editing our podcast for a while, uh, editing out things like what I just did, ums and pauses and stuff like that. And part of it was because a couple of people who do listen to this on a regular basis had it sped up to like one and a half, two times speed. And I kind of took that as we talked too slowly. But then I was actually listened to something else and read something well, like three weeks ago that said, you the audience you need to the audience you need to cater to as a baseline is people are listening to what you're saying particularly if it's complicated concepts which is a lot of what we deal with right. and you need to talk slowly have pauses so people have time to think about what you just said digest it and you know have questions uh disagree whatever and so I thought, you know what? That's what the two and a half, that's what the speed up thing is for. It's, you know, there's not one to slow, well, there probably is one to slow down because some people do talk really fast. But if, for some people who want to blitz through, they're not finding it complicated or it's just like they, they just want to hear what we say. They can stop it if they want to think about it. Then they have that option. But to just, so I've stopped edit, editing as nearly as heavily as I have. What I What I've been doing the last month is, Anytime we have uh, Tank or JoJo issues and we have to stop the podcast or there's moments where we have little, you know, problems, clearly edit those out. But otherwise, just kind of let it go and people can hear how we normally talk, which is if it's a lot of ums and pauses, you know, I don't like hearing that when I'm hearing myself, but that's just the way it is. And uh, we're... A lot of times we're thinking through what we're trying to say as we're giving our answers or have a discussion. So I would hope that that comes across as pondering and, you know, we're not doing a lot of likes, you know, some of the more annoying uh, vocal tics that a lot of people have that do bother the hell out of me. But sometimes being able, I would love to be able someone like a John MacArthur who just like blitzes off a 30 minute soliloquy without any ums or, uh, uhs or pauses or whatever it's just not gonna happen so yeah plus i'm like too adhd for that (laughs) brain just wanders way too much so i'm just saying i think that we've come a long way and that's uh been a lot of fun so if you've been listening to us and if you listen to us on one and a half time speed i i tim listens to all of his stuff at regular speed, which is crazy to me. Um, cause like when I listen to audiobooks or I listen to anything, I usually crank it up to one and a half and it's not like, I don't find it any less enjoyable. I just like it, it just cuts time. Like that's just usually what it is. I, there was a, I think most recently, the most recent audiobook I listened to, I listened to it at, at regular speed. Cause I was just like, ah, I just kind of want to enjoy this. So I'd like just sit out on my front porch and just enjoy listening to the book for a while. Um, but that was, that was just me just taking a moment. So. I, don't, I don't want this to sound like I think I'm smarter or deeper than the other people. It's just that's not my if anything, it's just 
it shows how warped my brain is, I think. I just I listen to it regular because when I'm listening, if most of the stuff I li- the sports stuff I could probably listen to much quicker because there's nothing deep about that. And but the other things that I listen to, my mind anybody who listens to this podcast knows we go on intellectual walkabouts too many times or just I don't even know if they're intellectual, they're non-intellectual walkabouts, but we go on walkabouts in our conversations, and my mind often does that when I'm listening to some kind of meaty podcast, whether it be religious or sure. political. And so it's it, it's better for me to just leave it at regular speed. So Tim is better than all of you that listen to it at yeah. one and a half speed. That is what he's saying. He's saying that he, I get he actually stops to smell the roses <laughs> and enjoys life. You yeah. all are just trying to fly by life at the seat of your pants and... Uh, you are terrible human beings. Uh, yeah, you, you know, really some... check yourself. <laughs> sometimes you can give the 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 pr- the verbal predicate to what about your say what you're about to say, and it still doesn't matter. I'm just I'm just saying I'm not trying to offend you, but you're a piece, but you're but you're a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. and I'm just saying I'm just saying it's the uh, Ricky Bobby. Well, with, with all due respect, Mister Dent, I had no idea you'd gotten experimental surgery to have your balls removed. <laughs> What did, you, what did you say? What, that, what was that? Oh, I said it with all due respect. That, no, that doesn't mean you get to say whatever you want to say to me. You, sure, you, sure as heck does. No, no, it doesn't it's mean in that. It's the Geneva Convention. It's, Look it up. Not, We're looking with at all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> with all due respect. I don't think I'm smarter than anybody who listens at one and a half, two times speed. But <laughs> <laughs> So having listened to, we just dropped this week, the our music podcast, which I think is one of our better ones. We could probably list what we think our better, better, best ones are, but I think it's up there with one of our better ones. It's a good conversation, uh, and the YouTube discussion I think is great. But what it, I just want to—we spent a lot of time on it, but I still want to re- reiterate the 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 nexus of the conversation was a quote from John MacArthur from one of his uh, Bible commentaries, and we used it because it was it kind of nicely. It nicely and neatly conveyed the criticism of modern worship music, and so rather than cite five or six articles, um, we 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 use that one, and we agree with a lot of things about it. But one of the things, as I was listening to the podcast, as I was editing it, what just kind of continued to stuck in my craw was his big criticism, his the big charge that he levels, which we pointed out was like okay now you've gone way over your skis and gone on frankly a non sequitur is that somehow modern contemporary christian music versus previous iterations of worship music lends itself to grandiosity it's all about me etc etc and i'm listening to that and i'm thinking You can say the same thing about megachurches and pastors who lead megachurches. Yeah. And it's actually, I would say, the longer, the more the church goes in this modern era of megachurches, it's fair to say that it is more likely that that is going to happen to you. So I'm not actually saying MacArthur's wrong necessarily if you leveled it. Just the irony is you're the pastor— of like a seven ten thousand person mega church in Los Southern California, and unfortunately for John, it's all caught up to him because in the last three or four years, 
scandals have come out because yeah. I think he got too big for his britches and he had an elder board that was supposed to hold him accountable that at some point stops holding celebrity pastors accountable because all kinds of reasons they're not, and some of it's just they're too big they get too big these are clear, clearly men who are worth the uh a lot of times it's uh, this is the same thing that happened at Hillsong it's people start start confusing the message with the messenger and this guy becomes some new prophet right and we can't do anything that diminishes the word of the prophet because if we do then it's going to then all of these christian these people out there who need to hear about jesus won't hear about jesus anymore rather than just trusting in the quote church with a big c that those people will still hold, hear the gospel somewhere else and then it just leads to covering up oh well we've got a associate pastor who's who's uh abusing women well that can't happen we can't talk about that because that will ruin the mission of jesus christ here at the in the corner of sherman way and whatever in sun valley california or i'm a pastor and i'm i'm going to instruct all of my people for several decades about what being a good christian father is so when my son screws up in his 40s we're not going to talk about that because somehow it's a reflection on me he's a grown-ass man he stole money from people and his financial. Who cares? Talk about it. Or don't talk about it. Say, he's a grown-ass man. He's not my son. I'm not responsible for him anymore. He's he's responsible. But we don't want to. Oh, no, no. Because this will hurt the mission and vision of John MacArthur and Church and uh, Grace to You. Nothing is that important. And so... And, and so, so again, my criticism of John isn't, he's not wrong, and we even said this about a lot of these worship groups. It starts becoming about the worship group and not about worshiping because it becomes big business for whatever church is backing it up. And, oh, well, we can't we can't have a scandal about Hillsong music because then that'll bring them down the whole empire and then, you know, people won't be able to worship anymore. But again, John, you can say the same thing about churches. And <laughs> so it's just kind of the myopia of of criticizing this one part of the church experience, et cetera, and, and not fully applying it to everything else. And, and, and unfortunately, rather than saying this is a problem that modern Christian Christian worship needs to be mindful of, that it can lend itself to celebrity worship, uh, one might use the term idolatry, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and be careful of that. He just says, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater, and it's not orthodox to do that kind of uh, um, worship music. But doesn't, again, doesn't apply that same standard of, well, that can happen to the Jerry Falwells of the world, yada, yada, yada. We can go on and on and on about megachurch pastors. So therefore, we should just, it, it should be unbiblical to have any churches above 400 people or what pick the number, but he doesn't do that because that's not, there's still, there are some megachurches that are doing well. Yeah. So anyway, minor rant. Uh, Tim and I have talked about it, uh, starting a new segment, which we're going to start right now. 
um, because he's unprepared, and so I think it'd be great. Oh, he's going. He's like, wait a minute. Don't you dare. Uh, we've been talking about this for a little bit. Uh, we were kind of uh, – we like being able to share our uh, musical tastes, um, and we felt after, especially now that we've released our music um, section, it'd be a great time to just, uh, just we're going to, I don't know what we're going to call this segment, um, but basically we want to talk about what we've been listening to. It's not going to take super long. You guys are like, how are we going to make this two and a half hour Yeah, now we're going to make it a three hour podcast. <laughs> uh, so just every week, we're just going to be like, hey, what are you listening to this week? Um, you know everybody's going to be like Colton listens to nothing. He drives in silence. in his Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Tim, what are you listening to? This I've week? been mis- listening to Marsden and Richardson. It is a duo. They are two thirds of another band, which I think they're actually the heart of as well. It's been around for about 15 years. I think, uh, it's called band of skulls. Oh no. He said, but there's a band of skulls band that Tim listens to on a Christian podcast. Band of Skulls is like a, it's just a three-person little band, but man, they crank out an incredible amount of sound. They've been my favorite for a long time, or one of my favorites for a long time. Uh, It's, and Marsden and Richardson are two-thirds of that. It's a male and a female. They have done a side project that uh, they released, I think, this year, maybe late last year, and I've just been listening to that album over and over and over again. It's very, it's different. It's a lot like, uh, it's a lot like the music you would hear in, let's say, early to mid-60s, where it's kind of rock and roll, but there's like a, there's a big band behind it lot of instruments being played clearly there's a lot of studio musicians that that are exceptional at their craft playing behind them and just bring out this really different sound so uh so that's what i've been listening to uh that's awesome i have i have been listening to music uh it's just gonna be a funny one because uh um not like funny like i'm listening to like weird al yankovic or something uh no i've been listening to uh, to uh bobby blue bland uh for a lot recently so uh yeah uh went and saw into the spider verse with uh eric uh one of our friends and uh one of the songs that they do is they play uh, uh ain't no love in the heart of the city and <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, oh man. So I've been on a Bobby Blue Bland kick for like a week and a half now where I've just been like cranking that up in my car. So just listening to some good old, old fashioned, uh, music, you know, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Um, kind of more of that bluesy kind of sound. And so it's been great. I've been having a great time with it. So, um, yeah, that is, that music is the nexus of, american music right there because it has blues and country and rock that all kind of gets and uh r&b that all kind of gets mixed in and it is just like take all the best parts of american ingenuity and music and just cram it into one sound it's phenomenal it's amazing i'm loving it so uh yeah although i was listening to some bob dylan the other day too and i was like i'm about to be on a bob dylan kick too so that's that's quickly approaching as well <laughs> bob's probably one we could do a little bit on a 
just a little discussion on because he's such an interesting man. Religiously, he I think he's been every kind of faith. Uh-huh. He had a Jewish phase. He had a Christian phase. In fact, uh, blowing in the wind, I think, is basically he's stealing from I think a passage in Matthew. It's it's I was I came across that um, I was reminded of that when we we're when I was editing the our YouTube thing and kind of looking up stuff like what you two like what Bono's stealing from different verses and stuff like that like Bono's one song we didn't mention last week was uh The Wanderer which is oh, yeah. totally written by you yeah. two all the all the uh the music behind it is you two Bono sings back up but it's Johnny Cash and it's like Johnny Cash at his the beginning of his come comeback tour right. when he does his Rick Rubin albums and stuff like that but that is, Bono is literally stealing a passage from Ecclesiastes, where this guy is trying to envision the world without God, and he's talking about what what the world is as he walks through it without without God, and that's so. Um, anyway, yeah, I think uh, "Blowing in the Wind" from uh, Bob, Dylan. Bob Dylan is like straight up out of the Bible. Yeah, I think it's that song. If I'm wrong, we'll do a cleanup on aisle five next, and I'll look it up. But and I was like, yeah, Dylan's got a lot of like religious own overtones in portions of his career. He's a really interesting guy. So, and his music, his voice does can be grating. He is I if somebody said he's the greatest American songwriter, I would have no argument with him. Springsteen's up there. He and Springsteen are similar to me. I find Springsteen a better songwriter than I do musician. Although Springsteen's Nebraska album is fantastic. Uh, it's I think it's his best one, uh, but they're similar in that um, there's a lot of songs that people cover, and you're like, I didn't know those Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, because he's a phenomenal writer. It's just right. like you have to like his sound. His sound. Um, yeah, and, and some people like because he is very gravelly in his voice, so that can be off-putting for people right. as well. Um, so, like, and I'm- then you know, Dylan's got the most ridiculous nasally voice of all time. But even then, I've grown to uh, uh, enjoy it quite a bit. But just then, if you just list like the, the album that he cut in Nashville, uh, and he sang the one, the girl from a northern town, I mean, that album is just amazing. And he just, I don't know, he's just phenomenal. So, yeah. I thought, well, and I was pretty sure that actually what Tim thought I was going to say when I said that I've been listening to stuff and it was funny he was going to say Colton's been on a prince kick because <laughs> That's right la- prince gave up cuz a la- a week and a half ago we got asked a question on trivia we go to trivia on Wednesday nights I don't know if we talked about this uh before but we go to a trivia night on Wednesday nights and we got asked a question what was prince's num- first number one uh uh, record-selling album, or no, is is his first number one single? First number one single, nineteen eighty-three. Alec just just butchered it and gave a terrible answer. Well, it wasn't a terrible answer, but he was wrong. What was Alec's answer? Was it not Kiss? No, he said it was. Uh... It was. Uh, I don't remember. It was, but it was like a, no, that's not it. The answer was uh, Red Corvette. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when we went. Our, uh, our quiz master, um, was like, he's like, it's not. What was the first one? Oh, it's not 1999, and so he's like singing it. Uh, isn't that what Alex suggested? Was Alex no? Said no. Uh, and then, uh, and then he was like, 
And he's like, and it's not Raspberry Beret. And he sang a little bit of Raspberry Beret. And then we proceeded to just sing Raspberry Beret for like the next week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like we had it going in the cars uh, while we were at the NASCAR race. Freaking uh, one of the kids that was with one of the new guys that was with us, Dylan, he was singing it like one day while he's like driving around in his cart. <laughs> I was whistling it like every time I came into the media. Room. Yeah, you guys were you guys were humming it as we were getting in the car to go to the track, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna put it on as we drive our 25 minute to the oh, track. Yeah, if it's and then, stuck and in our heads, we may like... as well like listen to it at least once. So. Alex guess okay, Alex guess was purple rain. No, he didn't. Even Alex guess that. Alex guess was terrible. Just in that it wasn't as big a hit as what he's, but it was. To be fair to him, a phenomenal pull. It, his was "I Want to Be Your Lover." Oh, you know, yeah, which that's... is a great. That's like if you're into Prince, that's like one of his really good songs off that album. But it's like no, that never had that kind of clout. It would have been Raspberry Beret or Red, Little Red Corvette. That was my uh, mom's uh, first. Or Purple Purple Rain. Uh, Raspberry Beret. Uh, or no. Windows Cry. <laughs> uh, Little Red Corvette was my mom's first vinyl record that she ever owned. Was uh, She had the single. Um, and so she Actually, owned that one. Actually, Red... No. Purple Rain and Little Red Corvette. I mean... Uh, Raspberry Beret. L- Purple Rain and Windows Cry would have been a terrible answer because that was on the follow-up album to the one that Raspberry Beret and yeah. Little Red Corvette. So Purple Rain was his second or third album. Anyway... So, uh, music of the week, or what are we? We'll decide call it to... We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Figure All it right. Out. Topic. How far are we in? Doesn't matter. Who cares? It's going to be a shorter topic today. Okay. That's topic of the week. Topic, topic of the week is. It's ostensibly. Women in leadership in the church, but it's really in order to have a honest conversation about it. We're coming after women. We're going to have to have a conversation about how one reads and interprets. Not not interprets. The answer is literally. How one reads and digests the scripture. Literally. That's how you should read and digest the scripture. <laughs> We're going to get into that. Uh, yeah, we're talking about. I, I mean, this is going to be a little bit... I think that this is goes beyond just women leadership in the church. This is going for a lot of different topics. Really, we're talking about context, um, understanding what's important when you're reading Scripture, and especially the New Testament, because uh, what's kind of funny is that we believe that we don't need to take the Old Testament literally. We're like, okay, those were laws and for a different time, and so uh, a lot of times Christians just kind of throw that out. But then... Uh, we take Paul's words um, in the epistles to be, um, well, like the law. Those are the new law that we follow is uh, what is written about in Paul's scriptures. But we don't like follow all of it. We just follow like some of it. We pick and we choose. Um, and so that's really interesting. We had a conversation earlier about um, sexuality um, and how we don't really follow it as to what Paul demands of us. Um, but uh like even more on a basic level if you want to go there like girls don't wear hats in church even though that's a requirement is that women must wear head coverings when they come into church uh on a regular basis and so why do we take some of the stuff literally and other stuff we don't take literally um those are things that we should look at um and i think that the reason why we chose women for this conversation is because uh well 
I think that we know our audience and it's more predominantly male. And this is something that is, uh, is a bit of an issue that's rampant in our country today of women in leadership in the church setting. There's still a huge, and now we're not talking about like the wage gap or anything like that. We're just talking about uh, the amount of deacons uh, in churches or uh, or board members that are women. Um, you know, there's a countless amounts. We talk about it all the time that, um, and in your churches today, you're probably talking about it where you're saying that uh, men are not showing up to church, but yet men's, so you're saying that a majority of your church congregation is women, but yet they are not being able to represent um, themselves in the church setting and are not allowed into those leadership roles. Um, and why? Um, and oftentimes people go and reference scripture and they're like, yeah, I just wouldn't have this. Um, like I would never allow this to happen. Like it's very clearly defined. Women and men are completely different. And so therefore women shouldn't be allowed or involved in this. Um, they shouldn't have head pastoral roles. People leave churches over the fact that they've hired women. Um, and so this is something that's a huge issue across the United States. And it's really funny. I mean, it's, um, and again, it, they reference Paul and his works here. And so we're going to talk about it today and just be like, okay, let's understand context um, behind some of this stuff. And let's see if this is something that is legitimate where women shouldn't be in leadership too much women in leadership is that a problem um what does that look like um and so we're going to talk about it today yeah uh and if you think well this isn't really maybe you are a believer and you think the church has actually progressed quite a bit you have a positive view and you think church has actually progressed quite a bit let me just reiterate the and i think we talked about this in a hot topic uh late last year in the last couple months the Southern Baptist Convention, which has actually become more progressive. I don't mean like it's been progressive. I mean, it's been progressing away from a fund purely fundamentalist view of Christianity. It has actually become—it's been reforming itself. I think it's probably the best term to use from a Christian's perspective. Even it kicked out three churches last year, including Rick Warren's church because those churches put into position women of leadership at the church. Two of those they, women passed, women were uh, outright appointed as pastors at Rick Warren's church. Rick Warren appointed his successor, and it was a male-female duo leading the church, and that was a bridge too far for the Southern Baptist Convention, and they booted him out. So this is still a thing in the United States— United States in particular, I would say, uh, and if you're, so if you're listening to this, okay, what parts of Christianity is this still a problem for? It's actually not been a problem for the Pentecostal church for a long time. Pentecostal churches had to have women, particular, some churches have had women, and uh, I can, and if you doubt that, my grandmother on my father's side actually when, uh, led their church for quite a long time. Um, but in general, most U.S. churches, uh, particularly Protestant ones, have held the, held the line that women aren't to be pastors. The church that we reference a lot 
that we used to go to, uh, to be fair to them, they had a lot of women from... To be fair. To be fair. They had a lot of women in leadership in terms of being on the board, which what we, you know, some people might call an elder board, but they were, they were people, positions of leadership. They were voting on the direction of the church. And uh, when I started going there, the, basically the church board was making all the decisions for the church. So they were, they were in a position of leadership. They weren't, and we, we can probably, we'll have to flesh this out as this can, uh, as we get through the discussion of the, uh, maybe a difference between, I don't think there should be a difference, but you know, some churches, well, that church would have held a line of, well, they can be on the board, but they're, they're, we're not going to have a woman speaking in authority from the stage or the quote unquote pulpit telling people like, this is the proper view of the, of this scripture on a Sunday. That was not going to happen. Uh, so in the United States, it's I would say it's largely been frowned upon, except for the more Anglican denominations, which are what is he, what do you mean by that? I mean denominations that have their tie more closely to uh, well, okay, the Anglican Church in in the United Kingdom is the breakaway of the Catholic Church. They've been very open about allowing women as uh, what would they call them? The funny term is vicars. I don't know what they call them, priests or pastors or what? Probably pastors. In the United States, the Episcopal Church is essentially the Anglican Church. It is the Church of England in the United States. And so the the one predominant, I would say, uh, denomination that has been open for probably a decade or so, maybe a little bit longer, of women being in charge is the uh, Episcopal Church. There might be a few others here and there different versions of Methodist, the Methodist church, because there's all kinds, you know, same thing with the Presbyterian church. There's, there's not one flavor of Presbyterian church. There's PCUSA, there's PC International, there's PC blah, blah, blah. There's United Methodists, there's other Methodists, there's Black Methodists. So there's all kinds of different breakaways. So, but in general, just look at it that way. Most churches in America, even today, you're not gonna, no one's gonna allow a woman on stage preaching. And I think if you and I are being fair, Colton, I'm not all that thrilled with it. Well, I, no, you know, I was thinking about this. It's not, that's not right. We have had female, I've had female people preaching from the stage and it's never wowed me, but it's a particular thing because I don't find, and if you're listening to this, say, well, that's politics and that's different than, look, don't. There should I don't I don't think there should be a difference. I don't find it offensive to have a strong-willed woman arguing a political point, running for let's say running for president. Sure. Um. And my reluctancy in females becoming pastors is, and not but not having any exposure to it other than the one that preaches. I don't know once every three months at our church is that it's a softer. Yeah, it's softer. I, yeah, the term that I, well, the term that I use is not a good term uh, for what I'm looking for. I think I've been exposed to a little bit more of females um, preaching just based off of the podcast that I listen to uh, the churches that I listen to on that. Um, they have fairly regular use of females. My issue with that is just, um, 
or and I mean like I don't really have an issue with it necessarily but um it's when I've listened to uh pastors and I really get something out of it there's um and there's not a lot of pastors out there that do this on a regular basis um they get out there they challenge their congregation not necessarily through manipulation or through um or through a guilt trip or anything like that that's not what's going on it's more of like hey i'm going to teach you something about scripture um whether i give you historical context or i give you this or that um and then from there um this should then change your worldview um and those are the kind of sermons that i love um kind of hopefully what you may be thinking is happening on this podcast is we sit there and we look at some of the things that we've looked at for a long period of time as true and we sit there and say nope like we need to shift our focus yeah um and so that happens on a regular basis i have yet to see a female pastor do that and so usually the term that i would use is like <laughs> i would say i want her to get up there and just be ballsy but like that's kind of sexist so um <laughs> that's, that's not necessarily a... what we're looking for so i'd Some say guts. i want something with a little bit more grit to it a little bit more um kind of where I, where you push the envelope a little bit more. And then like, that's easy to say again, females have to, you know, they're, they have to do certain dances where they're like, you know, I'm not necessarily accepted by everyone when I'm up here. Right. Um, you know, and you could say that some ha head pastors are that way that they're not accepted by everyone when they're up there. But no, like 100% of female up on the stage is significantly more questioned um, than other people. And so even at a progressive church, a third to half the men might be just tuning them out. Like, right. Whatever. They'll still be put off. They'll be like, Oh, you know? Um, and so, um, I just want to see something with a little bit more grit. Um, and to which it does, like Tim said, it's always softer. Um, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a happy feel good message. And it's just like, yeah, they just it's therapeutic. Yeah. And it's always like, eh, you know, like I don't, I wouldn't like that if a guy gave me that sermon. Like, there's certain pastors where I'm like, "Oh, sure, I don't want to listen to you." Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, not because it sounds fine coming from a male pastor. It's just for whatever reason, the female is never ever able to. And I mean, like, that could be the situation: is that the female is never able to, or she's just not. She's not asked to because yeah, exactly. we don't want to. Yeah, you're, you're. It's she's fulfilling a sexist archetype, right? And my fear is that I. And especially in our world now, um, it and I think that it's something to be questioned is, is she there for the right reasons or is she just a token? Correct. Um, where, and I think that that's a very realistic question to ask. And maybe, and I once said this about, uh, about certain people uh oh i said this um during uh i and i mean we're gonna get political for a minute listen uh just so we're clear when it comes to presidential uh candidates i don't um i don't vote for either side i don't vote republican i don't vote democratic um I, I don't think as far as what I've seen over the time that I've been allowed to vote, I've never been a fan of either side personally. And so I just don't vote for if I don't like you, I'm not going to vote for you. 
Um, I'm not the type that's sitting there thinking like I need to vote one or the other because, you know, good has to win over evil or whatever. I think that they're both evil and like I don't want to vote for either of you. Um, <laughs> I think the options are both shitty. I don't, and so I, don't, I don't want it. So that's what I'm saying. So but I do remember specifically having this conversation with my mother and my sister and then both getting extremely offended. And so when I say talking about this with a token, I felt like Joe Biden had chosen Kamala Harris as a token where it was um and mainly because he had had a conversation he had had that interview and this is what persuaded me and like eventually my mom and my sister were like they they like were like okay i guess um i can see where you're coming from and that's all that i'm looking for here i'm not necessarily looking to convince you that that was the case but uh joe biden had had a conversation they said have you decided who you want as your running mate yet and he said Nope, but I can tell you one thing. She will be a woman or it will be a woman. And it was like, why though? Like, yeah, is that it made it seem like it was 100%. It was about the fact that he needed to have a woman. We're just going to check off the box. Right, exactly. Um, he's like, my we got to fill that co- that fill my that campaign quota. manager is saying that 100% I will win this if I get a woman because yeah. then I can get the I can secure the woman vote. Um, and. And again, when when we've talked about churches, and I've told you um, several times, and uh, Tim can attest to this too, is yes, there is a decision-making process where they sit there and they say, what will get the most butts and seats? What will continue to bring them back? And yes, that is one of the conversations that they have where they're like, okay, we need to have – we need to hire a black pastor um because and they will 100% say that they'll be like this is what we need um in this particular area because we're not going to be able to get as many people as we possibly can unless we have an african-american pastor i i heard this from a mega church that they legitimately did this um and it was like wow and i'm not gonna put them on blast but i like we had talked with their staff and they were like yep this is what we did um and because we need to get more money from that particular church. And we feel like that's the best way to get more money out of that. And so, yes, it is a very real possibility that you may be at a church that has a woman pastor and they have her speak once every three months. And it could be just to appease this idea of we're prog- and to promote this idea that we're progressive and you should be here. We allow women to have these leadership roles. Um, they don't ever get like this really big gutsy sermon, but they come up and they stand and they do their thing. And you could be like, wow, that's really progressive of them. And that's really cool. They allowed a woman to come up and uh, give a sermon and they allow her to do this regularly. And they're like, oh my gosh, yes, this is amazing. And so therefore you feel more open and uh, welcome in the church and therefore you give more money. It's a really sick, sad truth, but that's the truth of right. the church, like whether you like it or not. And so... So we're just being open and honest. So we're laying out all our, all our cards. We're not like, oh, they're we're super woke and progressive about women in leadership. Um, I have other concerns. Um, should I get into it? I'll get into it real quick. I have my concern with when we have. There's no. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, this will be a three-hour podcast if I get into it. Uh, maybe maybe on another episode. The point is, our concerns are not doctrinal. 
They are situational. They are very unapologetically situational. And so that those th- those are our concerns. So Okay, before we get hard charging back into the topic, beer number two of this morning day drink. Uh, Moonlight Brewing Company. We had this on tap last weekend in Sonoma, and it was delicious. So you got a four-pack of it. I got a four-pack of their standard, always uh, being brewed, Bombay by Boats IPA. This is a double IPA, although it's on the low end of a double. I mean, frankly, a lot of beers that are just single IPAs have this amount of alcohol, but... It's a 7.7 uh, Deli by Dingy Double IPA. I love the can. Got this dark green with the guy in the in the dinghy rowing it with the with the sail. It's great. Yeah, it's uh, really tasty. It was the second best beer that we had there, in my opinion. Uh, I really like that red. Yeah, that red. They had a red ale. And some red ales I like, and some I don't, or they're okay. It's just eh. It's like a they're similar to brown ales. It's like all right, it's it's fine. It, there's like I've never had a bad one, but well, that's not true. But generally speaking, I've not had a bad one. But that red ale, we were like, that's like world class right there. Yeah, that thing was delicious, and I was like, but listen, I'm if you're sitting there and you're a red ale drinker and you have moonlights and you're like, this doesn't taste like that. Like I'm not a great like person to judge red ales but i remember drinking it and i was like this was really good i would order this every time so um but again that one isn't a typical standard they didn't even have it in cans um but i will say one of my more enjoyable nights was with with our friend brett adams he and i had two two dollar killian's irish reds at a pub and it was those are fine yeah i'd say that I do say that a lot of... Uh, Ooh, this one's got a bite. <laughs> we went from juice to yeah. to West Coast uh, double IPA. Uh, and if you're ever wondering uh, what the difference is between a double IPA and a single IPA or a triple IPA, it's an uh, increase in the amount of hops um, is what distinguishes it. So the more- Which yeah, then leads to... A, I think the cutoff is like... I think actually, like double start at nine, but there's no clear hard and fast rules. Not like oh, it's eight, it's seven and a half, seven point seven, so you have to classify it as a single. Yeah, it's just an increase in hops, um, and to where you are going to get a significantly hoppier flavor um, out of it. So, so if you like hops um, and you like really feel like it, like you like hops, then going for the double really is going to help you. Triple again is going to give you more of that hop flavor, but. The hard part about the triples is um, oftentimes you're going to start getting more of that alcohol taste. Yeah. Um, because they're higher ABV. Um, and we've been to a couple of breweries now where they have a quadruple um, uh, IPA where you you taste the alcohol. Like it's not even like. Yes. And it's a sweet. It's not a bitter. It's usually a no, sweet. It's a it's sweet. A sweet. It's a you're sweet like, taste. You're like, there it is. Yeah. 
and everybody talks about like if you taste alcohol you'll you'll understand like the sweet context of what you're talking about but yeah uh and those are like dust bowl has and we've tried them on the show before where they're like 15 percent um for a beer and you're just like holy cow um it's a lot i was like i remember last summer um there was a podcast that we did and we opened up the mega ipa which or the trunk one or whatever it was 15 percent and uh i ended up crashing on the couch um here and i had work at or i had to be at water polo practice at 5 a.m it was right i was so miserable when i woke up i was like oh this sucks so but definitely couldn't drive home so always drink responsibly ladies and gentlemen all right so now that we're off of our double ipa deli by dinghy Okay, let's jump into it. So, in order to have this conversation, we've first got to read some scripture. Uh, we'll we'll read the. I'm going to read the scripture where that is cited as the authority for not having women in authority. Yeah, and it's. I'm not being unfair. This is the only one that I could think of or find that is clearly like no. Right, it's just this passage in the in the New Testament. I don't know what passage is it. it like it's First Timothy. Uh, yeah, give me a minute. I mean, go for it, and I'll. All right, well, I'll read this one. I'll but this is it. this is whether it's the only one or not. This is the one that's cited because, uh, and then we can. Well, I'll read it first, and then we'll break down. Maybe we'll say something about the author of First Timothy. So, and again, just following the rule we have in this podcast, I am not reading you just the little sentence that backs up what the side that is using this. I, I'm read, I'm going to read as much context as I think is important so that you understand where this is coming from and what the full context is and not just using soundbite Christianity Soundbite theology, which is what we do all the time on Sundays in church and in theological discussion. So again, I'm reading for First Timothy chapter two. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess profess the worship of God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Uh, okay, first of all, just this popped in my head as I'm reading it. The, the whole thing starts with, I want men there everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. Okay, the number of pastors who've cited this as reasons for women need to shut the fuck up and stay in the back of the church and not say anything, who have preached with anger and disputing is... That's the irony. So again, we pull out things we want to pull out just to lord over other people. Yeah, so um, 
Yeah, so I, I have all kinds of other verses in the same book that we're reading from that contradict. That contradicts. It contradicts in context. But I just want to make we will get to those other verses where that is it is not that emphatic. Yes. And this is where we need to Colton, you'll lead us on this is why we can't read our Bible with a literal view and just go like, well, that's what it say. So that's what we're gonna do. Uh yeah, give me a sec, because I want to make sure that I get this right. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Well, it should be pointed out, and this is relatively new for me as well, dear listener. I didn't know this because I haven't gone to Bible school. I don't have a theology degree. I haven't taken classes on the origin of the New, like a historical origin of the New Testament or the Bible itself, the entire Bible. Bible scholars today, pretty, it's a consensus. It is not. Uh, it's yeah, it's a consensus. It's not all Bible scholars agree. I wouldn't say that. Let's not get over our skis and and be emphatic about it. But it it's fair to say a consensus of modern Bible scholars don't think Paul actually wrote First and Second Timothy. Even though if you sit and go to church every Sunday, your pastor is probably going to say this is Paul writing to Timothy. It is that's unlikely. And in fact, this it seems. If I'm correct, Colton, correct me if I'm wrong, this letter seems to be written probably 100 years after Paul's death. It's not even contemporary to Paul. Yeah. And so, there's reasons for it. I, I can't go into those reasons. I, I don't frankly know those reasons. I just, having read and listened to people talking about it, seems pretty clear they're not pulling stuff out of their ass. This isn't some modern attempt to discredit the Bible. Yeah, I think this isn't... This is where it's tough, um, and we've had these conversations before, and so I think it's worth having now um, in just understanding there is biblical tradition that has taught people this is who wrote this, this is who wrote that, um, and there is... And a lot of it at the time was just, that was supposition by the scholars of that time who didn't have what we know now after years of archaeology and other things of being able to get together and study books and say like yeah, 100%. the language is different it's not like the well, people weren't pulling wasn't people pulling wool over folks eyes it's like oh they all seem kind of the same yeah and and here's also the thing is so like one it's that we don't have like they didn't have the ability to to really data trace you know um and so and that's something that is extremely important to us in our context in our world that we live in now we need to understand that is that is something that is extremely important to us is we need we need original sources like you've been taught that right like you uh when you do any type of presentation having primary sources is significantly better yeah. than having secondary sources exactly uh and so that is what and so people have gone back and they're like okay so what bible uh literature or uh scriptures are primary sources and which are secondary sources and so, like we said before, is that pretty much um, none of the – so it, it seems like, according to church tradition, that all of the Gospels are primary sources, all of the letters are primary sources from Paul, and that's not true. Um, or the general consensus among biblical scholars is that you will find that 
Paul probably didn't write a majority. Well, like he wrote like about half of the epistles. Right. Um, and again, that's not saying that it, it, and again, understanding our context where we're at, where everybody knows how to read and to write. That's not something that's true of the ancient world. Not everybody knew how to read and to write. Right. And but most a communication, majority of people did not know how to most read. Most communication write. was oral. Right, exactly. Um, and because it was oral, though, we, they were more prone to probably accuracy in retelling stories because it was important to accurately retell stories. So that's. Right. So don't just sit there and be like, you're thinking. Oh, they just played telephone. And so by the time I read the letter 100 years later, it completely warps what Paul might have said. No, that's not the case. Right. And I mean, like, you can still say, like, there's a possibility that things could be warped. And you're like, yes, that is a possibility. But this is the sources that we have. And this right. is what we have to go off of. And so. Um, and if that's a deal breaker for you, um, so if you're listening to this and you're like, that like that really shakes my foundation. Um, again, and this is why we talked about mere Christianity, is that's not really what you're putting your faith in. No. Um, again, that's why if you read mere Christianity, it doesn't really ever talk about Scripture. Right? Like... Um, C.S. Lewis walks you through how you come to this conclusion of God without ever having to look at Scripture. He'll talk about, like, this is the basic message and to where you didn't ever have to look at Scripture in order enough to come to this consensus. Um, where it's like, okay, what what is it with this and this and that? Um, and again, it's not talking about Paul's letters. It's not talking about that. He mainly talks about the... When he goes into Christianity, he talks about Jesus. And what does that mean for us? What is guaranteed by that? Um, and what does that mean for us moving forward? And so that's the important part. So if you're, if you're shaken by that, I completely understand. Um, and I would highly recommend going and reading Mere Christianity if you haven't gotten the chance to go and listen to our podcast discussion about it. But I'd, I'd get, go give it a read and be like, again – what we talked about when we were going over those podcasts is we are getting down to the basics and that is where you should build from there. Yeah. It is. You should not. And it says it in mere Christianity and a lot of pastors now are talking about it is that you should not build your foundation upon the Bible. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. It's, but that, but it's an important document. It's an important document. 100%. It's foundational. But it is not the foundation to which you should build your faith upon. Because, like I said, you're going you're gonna to find mistakes in there. So if you're sitting there and you're saying that's infallible, that cannot be disputed, there are um, – you, you're going to – your faith will shatter. Let me use this analogy for people listening. Reading and understanding and knowing your Bible is as important as it, I would say argue in the – that being an American is in understanding American history and you, and knowing American history, knowing American history doesn't mean, well, the United States was this. And so I have to just accept that America was a slave country for a hundred, you know, for almost a hundred years, all that kind of stuff. Knowing the history gives you an understanding of where we started why we started, where we came right. from, the struggles, the failures we've done to live up to the promise of 
the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, understanding President Lincoln is knowing that he's trying to reframe the conversation of this needs to be for all people and still it's a struggle for another hundred years as we give uh, blacks and other minorities the same rights white people have even though we have this mass slaughter in the in 1865 1863 to 1865 understanding all that gives you perspective on people struggling to be an american an america living up to its promise and i think what colton and i are trying to say and what this isn't original to us but this is where the church has been trying to repivot after thousands of years of misguidedness is the Bible isn't this literal book. It's not a how-to guide. It's not literally what ha happened and what and how people reacted. But it is a book of people trying to, in the Old Testament, understand who God is in the framework of a world filled with polytheism mm -hmm. or monotheism and these monolithic, these monolithic gods being very vengeful, very destructive, very callous to human creation. Right. And in the New Testament, and where we're getting at the heart of this passage in First Timothy and then the, all the letters that come after from Paul and Peter that aren't actually Jesus, but even, the, even his disciples who are writing the four Gospels, trying to figure out what Jesus means and what it means to be a Jesus follower in the context of their daily lives yeah and if you get hung up on these things of this is literally what they did and somehow it applies to me sometimes it does that's not to say sometimes things don't apply to you even in the old testament but when everything is like well women aren't ever supposed to be leaders we're gonna get i'm we'll at some point we'll get into why this doesn't <laughs> apply today but does that apply today? Yeah, and so again, so so the so the idea that this isn't literal or everything like Paul actually wrote this letter should not matter. Whoever wrote this letter, it is someone trying to convey to a church that is struggling with in context with apparently men who aren't getting angry and they're not do, worshiping and leading in a peaceful way i would say is probably one thing we can take from that maybe and then two why there's some kind of struggle going on with women in leadership in this church but that's the big picture is yeah the church is always struggling as we are struggling today with what do we do with gay marriage what do we do with homosexuality what do we do with lbgtq what do we do with open borders and immigrants coming in how do we balance being thinking this uh, having one worldview that's political but another world of, of worldview of jesus or i live in a town with homelessness and i think these people should just get a job but jesus says feed the poor feed the hungry feed the penniless feed the home you know it's trying to struggle and not be dogmatic about it and understand if you're someone who does reach out to the homeless and you've got a conservative friend who's like, I just don't understand why they don't get a job or the the government gives away money. Why can't they just you know get their snap card and take care of themselves and not live on the street? Not being judgmental of them and saying, well, they're just heartless pieces of shit who aren't real true Christians. It's understanding we're all trying to figure out in this 
in our modern world what's going on and what Jesus wants. Yeah. And so let's get to the context of this uh, yes. this book in particular. Um, so first off, um, so we're sitting there and we're saying, okay, so Paul may not have necessarily wrote this. Um, it doesn't make whatever is said any less true no. or whatever. Um, it, we're just simply saying that like, hey, there's a possibility that Paul – so if you hear that or whatever, that's okay. Um, again, it's included in the scripture. There's, there's wisdom here that can be gained. Um, so it's First Timothy, correct? Yeah. Okay, so First Timothy is written um, to – from Paul to Timothy is the is the biblical traditional sense, um, and so he writes it to him while Timothy is at Ephesus. Right um, now, Ephesus um, is also the basics for the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is one of the books that's considered written by Paul. That's one of the epistles that's written by Paul. Um, that where like general scholastic or uh, scholars for uh, the church believe that uh, Paul probably wrote that book. Um, he's writing to him in Ephesus. Um, now, Ephesus, for those of you that are not familiar, I know when people think of Greece, they think of Athens, they think of Sparta. Um, Ephesus was considered one of, it's probably the second greatest city in the Roman Empire. Rome would be the, the hub because it's the capital, but really Ephesus is the cultural um, place to be again if for those of you that are unfamiliar with uh kind of the history of things because we kind of believe that because the roman empire overtook uh the macedonian empire um there's kind of this idea that well um rome became the head but really actually for a majority because alexander the great did so much work um and conquering the world but also spreading hellenism which would be greek um, around the world, Greece became the hub. Um, and there became like this natural, when Nero took over, there was kind of this idea that is like, no, like the Romans need to like have the power and there's like, this is where it needs to be. And so there became a shift. And again, uh, it's only after now Rome had taken over Greece for a long period of time before, uh, the Romans finally decided they were like, no, they kind of became, uh, kind of nationalistic they were like right. no latin is because oftentimes people associate latin with being roman and it's um and really actually latin isn't is only spoken for like the last 200 years of the roman empire yeah, with, compared to how late. long it had been in power um because hellenism was just so widespread greek was spoke throughout like there's even arguments that jesus probably spoke greek um a majority of the people in jerusalem probably spoke Greek. yeah think of it as um, the american empire is built on the english empire so right, the english exactly. empire like english the, the english empire fades america assumes that empire in the 20th century into the 21st century but it's all based on england's right. largely on england's empire right so that's why we speak english and that kind of right. stuff um so for those of you that are like it's an american language people need to speak american <laughs> Uh, when you're like super uptight about the fact that like uh, they want you to have bilingual people working at Walmart, um, just to know that it's another country's language um, that you're speaking. Um, hence the term English. Um, but so it really is. So at this time, Ephesus, you could even make the argument that it's even more important than Rome um, at the time that uh, this is being written to Timothy. 
Uh, it's it's a city that is that important. And the reason why is because, again, it's this Mediterranean hub of trade. Huge amounts of trade comes in and out of this city. And in particular, there is one thing about this city that it stands out and why Timothy has this particular piece written is that there is what is was because it's not there anymore because it's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world is uh, the Temple of Artemis. It resides in Ephesus. Um, now, the Temple of Artemis, uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with Greek mythology, and there may be some, uh, maybe someday some Greek mythology expert comes on here and he's like, okay, Colton got this wrong and got this wrong, but I can give you a little bit of background based off of what I know about Artemis, uh, the huntress goddess. Um, is uh, a lot of the ideas of like an Amazonian woman comes from the idea of Artemis. She was very much uh, of the forest. Um, she never took a mate, um, which is huge in Greek mythology that she was, uh, she hated men. Um, There's this whole idea behind her where, uh, and it was all about the woman. Um, and again, there, there was crazy weird things that women would associate if you were associated with the Temple of Artemis. And the Temple of Artemis was massive it owned huge amounts of property in ephesus greece um and they, they would build tents there and they would all live there and they would do sacrifices on a regular basis to her um and there was this whole idea and again if you were if you were aligned with artemis then you were of her fold and again she was this huntress goddess and so it, and so women was the huge portion of this temple in particular and they would do crazy nasty things and again and again, what Timothy is talking about right here is actually trying to, and whether you like it or not, to supplicate the woman to where it's like this, we have to be different, right? And again, yeah. uh, scripture is constantly going to be countercultural. And that's why, again, what's always important with epistles is they are situational. Correct. All of the letters that Paul writes, and that's what I mean by epistles, if you haven't been tracking with that word, is they're letters written by Paul. Um, any letter that is written is written to that particular city in that particular time in that particular context. And so... And we'll verify that by reading some other passages elsewhere. Right. And so this particular one in Ephesus is like, hey, we're having a huge problem with Amazonian women in our town. What do we need to do? And it's like, okay, well, because they would come into the church and they would cause chaos or whatever... Um, and also what we need to understand is this is also something that's really important is that when we talk about women in leadership in the church, we're still not talking about huge mass numbers of like what we experience today. Again, these are home churches that are starting, um, where they may get like a massive following, but it's really like, it's not this pastoral position or anything like that, where they're expected, like they're, they're doing biblical scholar work every single week. To like sit there no most of the time what they would probably be doing is more along the lines of uh street evangelism um, right it's like uh they're just going to get out there and talk and see who listens uh they're probably going to get heckled a lot um it's um there's a funny verse i'm going to quote later because it's gonna, got women in leadership where somebody becomes a christian and he immediately goes out and starts evangelizing and people are like yeah, 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 you need to actually join a church so we can start actually telling you what, like, <laughs> I don't, the, 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 it's implied that he's like, he might be getting a little bit over his skis because he's like so like happy to be a Christian. He's out there telling her like, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, no, let's do a little more uh, quote-unquote Bible study together before <laughs> before you get out there and start preaching. Right, and so um, this is just kind of one of those things where it's like, so that's why they need to dress modestly. Again, if you know about Amazonian women and all that kind of stuff, like they would just walk around naked um, throughout the Temple of Artemis. And there was like this whole idea of like, well, there was, okay. the natural woman kind of thing uh, going on. And, uh, and so – and there was just such a huge emphasis on that. And so they would come in and they would sabotage a lot of the stuff that was going on in the church. And they were like, what do we do? Um, and so there were kind of these parameters that Paul was like, okay, well, you can do this. Um, and to which, again, he was like, we can't, we can't trust women in this town at this point in time because of how, like, I cannot describe to you, like, that was their central form of government, basically, was, was whatever the Temple of Artemis wanted, that's what happened. And again, this is a huge trade route, huge, like immense amount of people coming through there on a regular basis, and they dictated what happened in that town. And so he's sitting there and he's saying, like, you can't, like, we are not at a point in Ephesus to where we can sit there and say women are allowed to be in leadership because it just doesn't work. But yet you'll see in other towns like Corinth, women are allowed to have positions of leadership. Because they're not dealing with that particular issue at that particular time. Right. It would be the same as if we were like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, like, like I'll just come after me. Like, let's say that there was a group of 20-year-old uh, neo-Nazis. Uh, and it was completely established in this town that pretty much every white... 20 year old male, a 20 to 30 year old male was a neo Nazi um, in this town. If we were good, honest, loving Christian people, we would love them and we would try to correct them um, on that way. And we would be like, you cannot be in a position of power, right? Like we would sit there and say, like, we cannot let them, like, that person cannot be a pastor at this point. Um, we work with them. And when we see change and that kind of stuff, we can change things. But, like, you're not allowed to wear a swastika in church. You're not allowed to, you know, do this or do that. There would be rules and parameters that would need to be put on them in order enough to ensure that they were. Uh... Here's one for you. You're this. It's the it's the Presbyterian Church of Biloxi, Mississippi, and it's 1868. And the Presbyterian the Presbyterian Church wants to send this really nice young twenty year old pastor from Cambridge, Massachusetts, down to Biloxi, Mississippi, to run the majority black Presbyterian Church in Biloxi, Mississippi. And someone says, "I don't think it's a good time right now to have a white guy in charge of the church. You need to find yourself a good black pastor." There's nothing racist about it. It's just like now is not the time. To have these people, and you, we, you're listening to this, you can say, well, you know, if we're Jesus followers, you should be getting over things like that. No, yes, in an ideal world, but it's probably a conversation we should have in another part. God allows the, the church or 
his kingdom, whether it be Old Testament and New Testament, to work within the context of the world as it is, which is why there is no outright banning of slavery in either book, which is a great cause of derision and frustration to modern people of why does this because it was wild why it was understood to be the cost of doing business to be perfectly frank about it for all of humanity until yesterday and even sorry folks even today it is still the cost of doing business even in the united states it's just we don't like it, and it's now frowned upon, and it's a dirty business that we don't deal with, but it was an open way of just, that's the cost of doing business, that's how we fight wars, that's how we con conquer countries, yada, yada, yada. Slavery was just built into it, and God doesn't work in ways of, like, I'm going to completely turn over the fabric of society and say, slavery's terrible, stop doing it, it's not, gonna, it, you know, we're not going to do it anymore. One other note on... Sometimes the Temple of Artemis is also called Temple of Diana. I believe it is this temple, if not another temple, but then adds to the still adds context to this conversation. One of the things that was going on in that temple, if not other temples in Ephesus, was the priestess. The pre priestesses were basically what we would call prostitutes. Yeah, and your way of paying a sacrifice would be to go in and have sex with a priestess. Right. And so, again, the writer of this, whether it be Paul or someone else, is basically like, yeah, I don't, we don't, we're trying to set up a new religion here, a new faith, and we don't need it assumed by people. Right, and also remember, that, again, Okay, so if I join this new thing, there's going to be sex involved, and I get to have sex as part of, the, like, the way of consecrating my thing to this new uh, Hebrew god that uh, had apparently... Right, and also remember, again, what is extremely important is knowing that the only people that were allowed... Like, there were no priests and priestesses in the Temple of Artemis. Artemis only associated with women. So... Correct. It was only priestesses so this whole idea and again they were yeah there's these and so if you were to have women convert over again and don't sit there and say i don't think anybody in here would but i mean if you were to sit there and say well they've converted and so therefore they like they won't bring any of their stuff over like they know better it's like there's a passage in, I think, Ephesus, which what? is written by Paul, where he's basically, he's not, ex I don't think he's explicit about it, but he's basically telling everybody, you can't, it is not good for you to be a follower. He's not saying you're not a follower of Jesus. Again, he's, Paul has a centered view of Christianity, not a bounded view. He's not saying you're not a Christian, but he's saying, stop. You cannot continue to be a follower. Don't continue. Don't be continue to be a follower of Jesus, and continue your old ways of showing up at the temple and paying your your three drachmas to have sex with the priestess because you're trying to hold on to this thing on the side as well. It's one or the other. Don't try to do both. Right, and I mean, like it's like over a thousand years of western civilizational influence that we're able to sit there and be like what what and you could sit there and put your spin on it if you wanted to but that's no good 
That won't work for you. Like, you need to understand that people can't just abandon it, especially when you only live for 40 years as they were doing at this time. So, yeah. Get back. Okay, let me blitz through some other verses just so people don't think we're just making stuff up, which I don't think anybody really is. But just so you have some more understanding of why we're pointing out this is con contextual and it's important. So this is from Romans, Romans 16. Uh, I have verse through vo verse 14, but I won't read that far because this particular ver uh, chapter in Romans reads like an Old Testament verse where they're just rattling off names. Uh Romans 16 chapter uh chapter 16 verse 1 I commend to your to our sister Phoebe a deacon and that word I don't know specifically what the Greek word is but it a uh, word deacon is basically referred to as a servant in one context but it really means it's an over it's the same that it would be if you're familiar with church today it's somebody who has some kind of level of authority either at the very top or but it is definitely a level of authority uh, Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Censoria, I asked you to receive her in the Lord in a worthy way of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, or she has been the, uh, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me, and then he goes on to greet a bunch of people um, in the church. Yeah. Uh, and then in Acts 24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a narrative of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and through, a, through knowledge of the scripture and had a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. That's interesting. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard, them, heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. That was the verse I was citing before. So this guy hears about Jesus, but it's only through the context of the baptism of John. And like, hey, 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 this is great what you're doing. We love the fervor, but uh, let's let's fill kind of even the right. story more in a little bit. And it's uh, uh, is it Aquila? I think I think it's both. Priscilla is certainly female. I think. Anyway, and then in Philippians 4, 2, 3, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, for whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand in the Lord in this way, clear friends. I plead with Eudaya. Uh, I plead with Eudaya and plead with, oh, good Lord, Sintic, to be the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, help these women, so they're both women, since they have been, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And then the last one, Galatians 23, before the coming of his faith, we were held in custody over the law, locked up until the faith that has come and would be revealed so that our law, so that the law uh, was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this is that, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through the faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed yourselves with Christ. 
this is okay. This is not a passage where uh, Paul's citing a specific female as a leader. This I'm. Um, he's basically making a distinct. He's making it clear at some point, male and female should not matter. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There, uh, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the last one I would say is a is an ideal that Paul is laying out. Yeah. That's the ideal. We don't know we no longer see male female. We don't look through the veil of uh conventional social constructs. But the church still has to um this, the church still has a deal with that. One thing that we didn't talk about when we were talking about the the, the first verse, the the, the the issue in Timothy was, it wasn't wild. And you actually alluded to this at the beginning of the conversation. Education only became universal within the last, <coughs> I don't say 100 years. Uh, women in mass didn't start going to college probably until the 50s. And so when education is a problem and it's not being widely widely or uh, evenly distributed, and certainly if you're poor, you're not getting educated. I mean, you know, we could have a whole conversation about rich and poor in the context of these old verses because all the people who are leaders are probably all people of wealth. Right. Because they can read and write. So the women that are all being listed are women of wealthy households. And one thing to just throw in there, uh, it doesn't necessarily make them leaders or deacons or people of authority, but it must be understood. We don't, this is, it's funny. This is another one of those topics that's not really mentioned on Sundays in churches. And I don't know, maybe there's just no good context for it. But I, it's an interesting note, a uh, little part of history that I think should be noted, just so people, again, understand the history of their faith. Yeah. Jesus's ministry was largely funded by three women, not men. And one of them was the head of Herod's household. She was literally taking money from Herod that he had paid to her or her husband to take care of his household, and she's funneling it, funneling it over to Jesus, which is this seen as this rebellious figure against the head of the Jewish state under the Roman Empire. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think the the biggest thing to get from all of this is really just the idea of uh, you cannot take this verse and sit there and say that no, this is how the church should respond nowadays. You should not look at First Timothy and be like, women shouldn't be allowed in leadership. Um, and I think that this is a really challenging thing for some people. I I knew somebody growing up. Um, we've talked about him a couple times on the show. I. I don't want to say my name. Um, 
but he once had a huge opinion about he was like i could never ever work under a woman he had worked um in a church and he had had male pastoral staff over him and he was like and and he would say it's not because they don't respect women he was just like i just he's like based off of intrinsic traits or whatever i could never have this as a leadership position over me like i just couldn't follow it and what's crazy is that he eventually had to leave um the pastoral position because he was just like it was too taxing on him and so he actually went into teaching after that and which his boss was a woman and to which he says nowadays he's like best boss i've ever had um he admires her leadership and the way that she leads um as his principal and he has i i have never heard which is funny because i've never heard anybody that works at that particular school say a that lady gets criticism, but it's never about it's her, not her leadership. And it's management not her of the leadership school. and management. No. Um, and so all of her staff loves her. Um, and he was, and I think that that's changed his opinion on whether or not he's able to follow women leadership, because again, there is still kind of that idea, um, that happens from time to time. And I try to, I personally try to buck against it where I, people say like men and women are different, um, for these amount of reasons or whatever. Women think like this, men think like this. Um, and if you believe that, that's totally okay. I think that my question is, has, do women and men think like that or has society shaped them to think like that? Um, that's always my question uh, where it's like, okay, so is a woman not able to go into the leadership role because you don't feel like uh, she's prepared enough? Like you just think that her brain works that much differently, which is one of the arguments that, like I said, that staff member had made at one point. Or is it just simply that society shifted her to make her think those things for long periods of time into which that becomes an intrinsic part of her personality is to where she's unable to do those types of things? That, those are the questions that I'd like to ask where it's like, can a woman do that or not? And I, I would believe that a woman can do everything that a man can do because I don't think – I well, when I say that, I mean I'm, I'm – especially when we're talking about – I that's a rabbit hole that we don't need to go on, but I mean, like I just opened it up. So it's like, I'm talking about like, can a woman at this point in time beat Usain Bolt in a race? No, like, you know, like, right. There's physical. Uh, yeah. There's, there's still physical limitations and stuff, but when it comes to what they are capable of, as far as leadership, um, those qualities where it's like, those aren't exclusive. Those aren't, I, yes, there are thousands of years of genetics, which have, which tailor to uh, a female's nurturing side. There's still things that people talk about where women may not necessarily agree, but child development psychologists talk about there's a, such a thing as penis envy and there's also such a thing as womb envy for those that didn't know, um, where men, uh, so everybody knows what penis envy is um, for the most part, but if you didn't know what womb envy is, it is men have a concept where they believe that they cannot be as close to children as women are able to be to children. So if you ever know, like, and this is something that women are trying to buck against now because they're like, I didn't want this responsibility where it seems like every single time the, the child has a problem or there's something wrong, who do they call? It's mom. It's always mom. It's mom, mom, mom. Like when they cry out in the middle of the night, it's for mom. It's not for dad. It's 
it's mom and you can say that it's because of you can, it, this happens with both parents being in the house even caring nurturing fathers but there's still this connection that the child has to their mother um and so people say that and so what it's called is womb envy is there is this idea that the father can never be as close to the child as the mother will always be because of and so like there are certain things that are like okay they're based off of genetics based off of time or whatever they are able to sit there and say like i can't eat, like i can't do that just so we're clear like i can't carry a child with me for like forever and like care and nurture it like you know especially like the breastfeeding i can't do that like that's physically impossible for right. my body um and so so i can't sit there and say that all traits or all things there may be things that the men are better at and there are things that the women are better at. I cannot sit there and say that that's not true. I can't say that we're all equal um, based off of – I think that based off of our sex, there are certain things that we are better at. I don't think that leadership is one of those things. I think that women or men can be just as well off. They can have a lot of those traits no problem at any given time. Um, but again, I I do think that there is a part that our – our world plays in downplaying um, women developing those qualities. I do think that we we emphasize them to be meeker, weaker um, than men, um, and so therefore uh, they take more submissive roles. Um, and to where that's where I say, like when we talked about it earlier with the ballsy sermons and that kind of stuff, like. Those don't ever happen for women because they've been supplicated to a, to a weaker role, and I feel like society has put them in there. So that's my opinion on it. But I mean, um, I do think there's baseline, average, aggregate, whatever word you want to use, difference between male and female. Um, but all, but the, the that difference in a modern context uh, should should only inform you as to trying to figure out. Let's just use it as from a female context. Like, okay, she's a woman. Uh, here's here's what I think the fundamental differences are between male and female. Is she within that spectrum? Of the fundamental difference, maybe she's, I don't know, got more male testosterone, whatever reason. She's not, maybe this person's not your typical female leader. I don't know. I do think it's important to know that there are differences. So it informs you on dealing, managing people different, yes, from a sex perspective. But that doesn't make it better that, oh, I got, if I know I'm, I'm dealing with a male, male, men are just as much a pain in the ass as women are. They're just a different pain in the ass. Again, in talking in generals, in the aggregate, um, baseline. So I don't think it's disqualifying to say, well, woman's different. Yeah, then we are talking about like a patriarchal worldview of, well, this pain in the ass because they're a male, we we can deal with that. So we're only going to have men but because we can deal with that pain in the ass. That, that That's ridiculous. Which brings me to the one bit of the part of the verse that I originally cited the Timothy, which I had been saying for two weeks, Paul, Paul or whoever wrote this is wrong. I'm being kind of tongue in cheek, but from a modern perspective, 
this is where I would say it's safe to say for, for a modern uh, reader to, to read this and say, in the context of today's world, this is an incorrect uh, reading of either the literal or mythical uh, reading of Genesis and Adam and Eve. And I'll refresh everybody. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness and propriety. So basically, yes. He's basically, in a way, if you want to put it in a very crude, modern way, he's basically saying women should just be pregnant and take care of the household. Right. Which doesn't work. Although I think now we're getting to the point where we're discounting the importance of women actually having babies and perpetuating the species, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. My problem with the verse was, and again, this we're talking about a very patriarchal society, and and uh, <laughs> the the view of all of society until very recently was that's what it was was. I mean, it, it's literally baked into Christian culture, pictures, adaptations, stories for hundreds and thousands of, and for 2,000 years, which is, you know, and, and now part of Western culture, secular culture, which is the view of Adam and Eve is Adam deceived, Ad, uh, Eve deceives Adam, has him eat the apple, and, that, and it's, you know, she's the one to blame. That is not my viewing of Genesis, and I think any modern Christian, whether it be male or female, that shouldn't be, I mean, no. if you have that view, again, this isn't some like, oh, you're not a true Christian. I think a proper modern view of it is, is Adam's the one at fault. He is told, and I think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, I want to I, I wanna be clear about this because from a modern perspective because it does actually fit within what is going on in society right now in 2023 in particularly the united states let's just take this as a u.s perspective we live in a world right now where men are not taking responsibility for their actions particularly with when it comes to making babies and the sin that if you're going to take uh if you're going to take a lesson from the adam and eve story from from a 2023 modern perspective is men are failures when they fail to stand up and say this is the right thing to do we need to do the right thing or I need to do the right thing. And that is either not listen to a woman or not listen to another man and say, nope, this is what God called me to do. And I'm going to do that even if I, it costs me. Yeah. And we have too many men being passive or just completely walking away and saying, that's not my problem because the government will pay for whatever, however many babies I make. Yeah. And my baby mama and baby grandmama and baby auntie 
and whatever white version of that, because I don't want to pick on black folks because white folks are statistically worse than black folks. So this isn't even a racial thing. This is like a whatever thing. We have adopted this culture just specifically on that, but just take it on all all other kind of things of, well, you know, that's not what the people want, so I'm not going to live up to that. That is not what we're called up. That is not the story of Adam and Eve is what what does it mean to be a leader? And if you take Adam and Eve literally from a modern perspective, not literally that the story actually happened, but if you take the story literally from a modern perspective is God creates Adam, Adam says, I'm going to give you Eve. You're now the leader. You're in charge. And Adam's first sin is to say, she told me to do it. And by the way, you gave her to me. So this is her fault and your fault. I'm not responsible. Yeah. And so, again, I'm not, you know, when I read it, I was like, well, that's not the proper proper view. That's not really fair. And in that context, they were taking Adam and Eve in that context in that day and applying it. But again, the modern view we should take, and this kind of wraps up the whole discussion, is that's not use the modern view and do it in a way that makes you uncomfortable, not comfortable. Yeah. And if Colton and I are uncomfortable having a pastor at church on Sunday who's a female, maybe we need to sit there and listen to what's being told. And even though we'd like it to be grittier and tougher and whatever, maybe we need to be listening to what's being told on a Sunday and say, well, maybe I need to just hear what the Holy Spirit's trying to say using this female perspective. Yeah. Instead of being like, that's not my jam, man. Um, But it also means, yeah, you know what? Women are actually getting by about a 10, by about 10 percentage points. Women are getting more education than men in this country right now. So it is more likely over the next coming decades that there's going to be a lot more educated women and we want educated people preaching the gospel on Sundays yeah. that we're going to have to get used to more and more women becoming pastors because the men, for whatever reason, aren't going to school. Yeah, I hope I hope that more women... Uh are going to school to be pastors to be pastors um i still don't know if pastoralship is well i don't know when we look at... flesh that out because i just a, a, a thought just popped in my mind which i think is along what you're gonna say or maybe i should just say it and then you agree with me yeah, go for it one of my issues so at the church we had before we were at before the best candidates always seem for when we were looking to hire a youth pastor the best oh, the best candidates from my perspective were a male female couple and what do, what do i mean by that because they compliment each compliment each other. No, it was because as someone who had kids that were of junior high, high school age coming through, look, we live in a complicated, over-sexualized society as it is. 
I don't know that it's fair to stick a typical 20-something, maybe 30-something male into a situation where he's supposed to be answering questions, giving guidance to females in an overly sexualized culture. And when, you, when you're when you a church and you've just got, let's say, a 26-year-old male and he's in charge of 16-year-old females, we're just setting people up for failure. Because they're either giving... <laughs> They're either giving no advice because the 16-year-old female, rightly so, does not feel comfortable asking a 25-year-old male what I should do about this situation with my boyfriend. Yeah. And yes, we can say, well, she should be asking mom anyway. That's Look, that's true. But sometimes people need to ask someone other than their parents for whatever reason. Yeah, they do. I don't know that that doesn't apply also to running a church in general. And I can I can verify that. I could I could go through just the list that I have in my head of pastors who've been brought down because they were put in I think the unintended they were put in a situation where they had all the best intentions of trying to counsel a female who's having a struggling marriage and that counseling turns into an emotional attachment that then leads to sexual impropriety and tears the church apart. Yeah. Ends the pastor's career. And I truly believe he never intended it. He wasn't a predator. As we like to say now, he wasn't going into it looking that way. It just circumstances happened because we did not have a trained, as we as is listed in Romans, train Priscilla or train someone to say, I'm not the one you need to talk about. You need to talk to somebody where there's not going to be that kind of confusion. Yeah. And again, I think in this modern world where we have a different perspective of marriage, we are highly sexualized. We are not doing ourselves favor by still sticking to this strict patriarchal view of leadership. Are you trying to get in the fridge over there? Yeah. Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a fun Costco trip. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna have to Uber us to the Costco. Yeah. Hell yeah! I was like, I want to go to Costco with you, peeps. Is that it? <laughs> if we have we killed that, I think we've killed it. I think we killed it. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, I have something, but again, we killed it. So I'm like, I don't know. I I had something, and I was like, Andy's Andy's gonna ask the question. Let's go. Let's go for it. All right, so we said earlier about Temple of Artemis. That's the cultural situation of the time, right? We sat there and we said, okay, Paul said, you cannot let women in leadership in the town of Ephesus because this is an issue that's going on. It's clearly defined that this is like, we can't be doing this. We can't be associated with that. 
know where I'm going. I think so. You cannot have them in leadership roles. Right. Homosexuality. It's the month of June. It's a it's a fair question. No, it is. It's I a know, fair I question. I, and it's one It's a tough one. I struggle with. So I um so I, I'm glad you I'm actually gr- glad this came up because this is a perfect this allows us to try to apply cuz it's it's easy in 2023. Yeah, we can sit there and be like, "Oh yeah, we don't have the Temple of Artemis today." So there Well, I mean, it's easy in 2023 even for me at my age to be like, "Yeah, women it shouldn't be that big a deal because women, you know, women's libs been going on since the 60s." So even though I grew up maybe, you know, I grew I'm a child of the 80s basically. And there's still this great debate between the, you know, cultural conservative and all that. There's still this idea that, you know, women can go to work and all that kind of thing. The homosexual thing, but I grew up in, I grew up in a milieu, so to speak, of homosexuality was still this kind of closeted thing and a view of, you know, a debate over whether or not it's uh, biological or psychological, all these great debates of homosexuality in the 80s and 90s. So I say that to, I don't know, so, so, (laughs) I have reservations if I'm being honest. If I'm being completely honest on this podcast, I I have reservations about homosexuality. And where the de- the debate in my brain is be- is the is my concern because I'm stuck in a twentieth century and earlier view of male female relationships or same sex relationships actually or Am I holding firm the that male-female relationship, even though it's not f- fundamental to Christianity, it is still fundamental to the world God created, and it's still the ideal, and we're not supposed to uh, indulge or celebrate the non-ideal. And I think... So I don't know, and so is it a generational thing? Is it a con- c- cultural thing? Or is it, no, there's actually still some limits to what the the way the, the world, way the God, God created the world. And one might say that's the way God created the world, but still Jesus wanted us to do what we could within a fallen world. And the fallen world me- means this guy, for whatever reason, or gal is gay or lesbian, and they can still be a leader of a church, so. Yeah, so I think, I think that this is a really challenging topic. I I think that this is one that we would all wrestle with. I think it was actually, believe it or not, a little bit easier. I mean, like, I could say that for the people of Ephesus, and they'd be like, um, They'd be like, it was not easy for us at all. Like, you dipshit. Because um, it was really challenging, like, based off of a variety of different reasons. We were going up against public opinion, and that was something that we just couldn't do. Um, 
And I do feel like this is something that is against public opinion. So where I struggle with this is the idea of every single... Again, when we talk about Christianity, we're looking at... And I've said it several times on this podcast. It's about us, right? Like it's, it's never about what is the other person doing. It's about what am I doing? And it's about caring for what's happening to the other person. So right. It's never about... It's never about sitting there pointing out what they do wrong. It's about helping them when they've been wronged. And it's about reflecting on what you've done wrong. Again, it's not necessarily a guilt trip. It's just more... Again, like For anybody that thinks that it's a guilt trip, again, what I would say is try to shift your mindset to where it's just be like... it's. I mean... Yeah, we I use don't. It. I don't accept the guilt trip argument. That's that's a no. That, but I mean, like, no, it, no, no, no. Let me. Let me just, uh, that's thrown at Christians, but I, I'm sorry. That's a bullshit cop out because even in sec in the secular world, people who don't believe in God are constantly questioning whether or not they're good people or bad people, and that's it's no different than being a, as a Christian. My thing is, I say we use this term a lot in education, and I don't think that it's like a great term because it's just been beat into me. Um, so like, I don't really care for it, but I think that it applies here fairly well enough to where I'd say that you just need to have a growth mindset. Yeah. yeah. Just this idea Absolutely. Of, uh, yeah, I fucked up, but how can I do better from this? Well, that's um, this again, that's the and it's learning, right? Correct. Like that's, that's learning instead of sitting there and being like, I'm a failure. I'm that's when it becomes this guilt idea of where you sit there and you view yourself as a failure and you're stuck in that moment of failure where it's like no that's not really how it's supposed to be you're just like hey i messed up but how do i become better from this and and there becomes this mentality shift where it's like i'm trying to be better and so it's like that didn't go so great so let's be better next time that that comes around and even if you continue to fail over and over and over and over and over again as long as you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, like, how can we improve? How can I do better? Am I taking steps um, to improve? That's what's important. That's and sticking yourself. That's sticking yourself into the bounded versus centered mindset. That you're. That's you saying, I can. I'm doing this, and clearly, I'm not a Christian because I'm doing this. Where it's a proper, like you said, a yeah. proper view is, I am doing this, and it's drawing me away from Jesus and the peace. And the tranquility and everything that all, everything that benefits me from being a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And I need to work on this so I'm moving towards him and not away from him. Right. And I mean, like, this is the hard part about, like, when pastors talk about repentance, they're like, this is where you completely walk away from what it was that you did and you turn the other direction. Yeah, no. And they're like... Some things, yeah. Like, it's just that easy that you can just sit there and drop that and immediately walk away. And they're like, we know it's hard, but you need to do it. Um, and it takes steps, months, years, um, to be able to do that kind of stuff. They, again, that doesn't get talked about on a regular basis, um, decades even for people to be able to walk away, um, from that kind of stuff. And so that's frustrating, right? Sorry, I'm yawning. Um, that's what morning drinking will do. Yeah. Uh, well, you can't drink all day unless you start that's right. in the morning, so... <laughs> Um, the, uh, so that being said, the hard part for me is 
every single pastor, there's none that are perfect, except for Jesus Christ. And so it's hard is like you have these people that are that we have sit there and we said, okay, this and again when we talk about the word sin, a lot of people think that that's evil, it's of the devil. And again, what we're talking about is we're just missing the mark. It's you have put yourself outside of what God has intended for his world. That is that is what sin is. For those of you that and I mean like for some of you maybe you don't need sin downplayed, but I think for a a mass majority of the church, you need to understand what the actual definition is and what they're talking about with what sin is. It is God has wanted this for your life and you have chosen to do something else. And so that can lead to situational gratification, um, but never what God wanted for you. And again, what's always hard is uh, most females, uh, when it comes to homosexuality, it usually develops in their teen years um, where they sit there and they say, like, this is something that I want to be a part of. Um, the, it's for a variety of different reasons. There's a lot of psychological that talks about how it kind of develops over there. Um, a lot of male homosexuality comes out in their teen years, but they believe that they've been holding it for long periods of time. They've always felt like there's something that's been different about me. There's uh, something that kind of goes along with this. Um, there's actually um, reports that prove that um, that lower estrogen levels um, or so if there's multiple brothers in a family, um, oftentimes, uh, the high, it becomes higher chances of them becoming homosexual over time because, like, the mom is just not able to produce that much testosterone for uh, her her children in the womb. Um, and so, like, there's – and but still, there's still concepts or ideas out there where it's like, okay, well, if a child is young and impressionable, which they are if you didn't know <laughs> – I, I still wonder if there's questions about, again, about social norms where it's like, okay, so I don't fit into this social norm, so does that make me in this social norm? Right. Um, and so, therefore, they accept that as their identity because of that. And, like, there may be people that are homosexual that are listening to this and you're like, don't pigeonhole us like that. And I was like, I, and I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to do that. I'm just, these are questions that I have. No, I mean, you're uh, trying to actually do the opposite. You're about trying society, to do the opposite. Yeah, I just am questioning that where I'm like, and, and again, I am really big about breaking social norms um, where I think that if you want to do something, you should go and do it. I don't think that it should be titled as either a, a gay activity or a straight activity. Um, and I, and in our area, it's huge. Um, I've got, and that may become... <laughs> And I say that may be, that may come from the fact that I wore a speedo for water polo, and I've got and I've got certain family members right now that they said the other day that because they were asking where to find a speedo online or where to find a speedo, and I or a water polo speedo, and I said, well, you can go here. I was like big five, like big five sportswear. You can go and get a. A swimming speedo, but they probably need to order one online so that way it's double lined. Um, for those that didn't know, water polo speedos are a little bit thicker 
Um, and I was like, why is their kid getting involved? Because I was like, oh, that'd be cool. Um, and my wife asked, and she was like, hell no. We don't do that gay shit. And it was like, what? Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm just so frustrated by that. Where it's just like, no way. Um, where it's just based off of the uniform or what they wear, that automatically makes it a part of this thing. And so I, I'm not a part of that where I think that there's there's activities that are meant for males and activities that are meant for females. There shouldn't be anything. If a guy wants to sew or or have a tea party or whatever, that should be totally okay. And if a girl wants to play football, to tackle football, I that should be totally okay. There's no boy activities, girl activities. Um, and so, but I think that a lot of our kids struggle with that. Um, and I mean, like, even if, yeah, I don't know, it's frustrating. So, um, all that to say is that when we go back to the homosexual and leadership roles in church, I'd say that I'm still like Tim where I have slight reservations against it, where I know that. I know that all pastors are not without fault. Some are watching porn. You have Catholic, or you have the whole like Catholic, I, and we say Catholic, but it, it, yeah, it's it not, happened in, it's not. It's not fair anymore to, to say Catholic. It is now, it's, it's yeah. every, literally every day it's coming out that the Protestant church has been just as despicable in covering up basically pastor slash priest sexual thing so yeah right and it's like and that was happening um, with same sex for long periods of time and so it's like uh, the church has a the modern church and by modern i don't mean like 21st or 20th century i mean like last couple hundred years at least we have a profound sexual problem that we've been covering up and it finally the chickens have come home to roost and it's it's doing severe damage to the church so anyway yeah and so and so sitting there and looking at your pastors and being like i know that you are you have your faults i think the homosexual one is hard at this particular time in our nation where we are still And there is no part of me that sits there and says homosexuals should not have all of their rights. They should have every single one of them. Anything that is offered to that, – that's how it should be for every single person in this country. You should not reserve rights away from someone like – and this is coming from someone who 15 years ago would have been like I, – I was like, no, you can't have gay marriage. Like that doesn't even make sense. 15 years ago, I would have said that. I mean, I was in the eighth grade. But still, 100%, like, I'm like, why did I ever think that? Especially when it comes to this country. And I was like, well, it was because of my Christian ideals and, and that kind of stuff because I believe that this was God's country. And it's like, no. They should have every right. Just like they should be loved. Just like anybody else. As what's according to Jesus Christ. And that means that their sin is not any worse than anyone else's. And that's where I struggle with it. Where if I sit there and I say, yes, I'm not. If we showed up to church tomorrow 
and they said we're hiring a homosexual pastor and he'll be teaching once every three months i don't think i would leave the church i don't think i would leave would you leave I, i'm gonna add a caveat just to add a caveat if if he's preaching from a strictly if he's if he's preaching from a quote-unquote homosexual point of view then i'd leave because i don't think that's the point i don't think he would ever talk about it that's the thing it's like how many pastors actually talk about the homosexual well that's agenda? the thing like, every... like which someone said well your pastor is preaching from a heterosexual look most pastors don't even deal with sex yeah they don't ever talk about sex that's talk why about I'm like... so if yes yeah, so some guy was up there like using it as a like a, an agenda to talk about homosexuality then i'd be like okay this is ridiculous like start a small group if you want to do that but you know but in general the gen your general no i don't i don't think so at all i don't think i would leave i wouldn't have and i'd be like this is what he struggles with well we've talked about this before what if he had the heterosexual part of the church doesn't <laughs> what do we have what legs do we have to stand on yeah our nothing. divorce rate like, is the same yeah, i know as it's always nothing like you know but it's still like i and here's the thing is and right, two listen, wrongs don't make a right, but still, it's just... For anybody listening to this, you still have to understand that, okay, so I just talked about 15 years ago. You still have to know that I'm still growing and improving. Sure. Like, you know, like I'm there's still, still things yeah. where it's like, I... <laughs> there, what What is it in... Uh, what's the Adam Sandler movie where he's the... Is it Big Daddy? Or no, what's the... There's Big Daddy. There's no, it's Big Daddy is the one where he's like the partier and he oh yeah the kid or whatever. Um, but there's like his two his two friends from college are all of a sudden gay or whatever. Yeah, and like he doesn't even flinch or whatever. Like if if like two of my friends just like started making out, like I'd, I like I'd be like I can't. Oh, it's do the it. like, guy you know? in the current season of Ted Lasso. He's like I'm gay, and I was like, yeah, we knew. It's like w yeah, whatever. Let's move on. Why was this even a thing? Yeah, and I mean, like, there's there's situations where that happens, but it's like, it's it's still something that is I don't. It's not something that I'm around on a regular basis. No, so, so yeah, I mean, to be honest, if I, I'll be honest, as a fifty-something-year-old, if one of your friends said like I'm gay, I'd be like, I'm okay with it, but it's also like. I gotta wrap my head around this because I don't really know any gay people. Like I've been around gay people, but I don't. Somebody that I would consider a close friend who's now telling me he's gay is like okay, but it would be like I've got I have to deal with that. Yeah, he have doesn't to have it. to deal with that. Right, exactly. I have to deal with that because I gotta, I gotta be the one to be like okay, this. I gotta be the one that tells myself this doesn't change anything. It's not like I'm gonna sit there and go is. <laughs> Am I self-deluded in myself to think he's been hitting on me all these years? It's like, what kind of crazy person are you? I would never so, think that. No, but you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Well, like, which would be the only, that would be the only reason why. It'd be just like, oh, now I'm creeped out because maybe he was, he was, it's not like, you know, anyway. So, yeah, it, I don't think. The, the yeah the the homosexual thing is similar to what we were talking about with a female pastor before it's the context if the if a female pastor got up there and all she talked about was from the perspective of a woman and being pers persecuted as a woman we'd be like okay 
Go start a female-centric church because you're not preaching to a group of people here that have all kinds of different problems. Right. Uh, and the same thing if, if all right, you're gay. So, and <laughs> again, frankly, if I found out that the dude was gay, married, this was like his high school sweetheart, and they had two functional children never divorced i'd be like seems like on a, for grading on a curve other than who <laughs> they're having relations with they're above the curve in building like future tomorrow which is also part of building a strong kingdom of god so who am i to judge that's right <laughs> well and i mean like and here's the hard part and where we may get a little bit of feedback on this is people would be like okay so being a woman isn't a sin but being gay is and that may be where you draw the line. But again, what they're talking about in this particular scripture is that the the women in that particular area of Greece could not be trusted in positions of power um, because of how rampant Artemis was to where it would have been the same thing where it was like this was almost kind of like the sinful kind of thing where if they were to gain that position, they would use it and replicate what was going on in the temple of artemis and so if you're sitting there and you're like well those are two completely different things and it's like no like you have to understand you're completely correct in sitting there and saying that being a woman is not a sin and therefore we should sit there and we should be better now because what's crazy is that we've held on to this for two thousand years right that's what's crazy um is where we sat there and we've been like okay you can like women are not allowed in positions of power, but a majority of churches say, and here's the thing that's hard is a majority of churches say that women can be in positions of power. Now they say that, but yet how many are actually in power? Very few. Right. And so, and here's the thing is that we talk about our differences. Um, we talked about that. Tim's like, there are definitely intrinsic differences i said that i don't think that they can be denied that there are some out there and so if there are differences then we should be accepting and say like hey we need your input correct we need your input women shouldn't just be in charge in charge of children's ministry or music because music's like oh it's emotional and all that no we need them yeah you need them in other parts put them in the business part put them in the that's the, the irony is I don't think it's outside the realm. It's it's not at all crazy what I'm going to say. It might not be backed up by statistics if we were somehow able to figure out the statistics. Yeah. The irony is I would say the, va- the, ma- the majority of churches around the country have their finances run, whether it be the bookkeeper or whatever, by a female. Yeah, there's the one keeping the books, but then uh, the whatever it's called, like everybody, the people that decide where it goes yeah. or whatever is like, oh, no, it's... Which has traditionally decision. been a man's role. But it's like, oh, no, the women can figure out where the money goes. But not preach on Sunday. It's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> well, I think we're good for... Well, just today. one more thing on the homosexuality. Saying, oh. Sorry not to belabor it. but And this is why I struggle with it. Because I know from a ancient perspective and even a first century New Testament, second, third century perspective... let's just say a Roman Empire perspective in particular, it was very prominent in the Greco-Roman Empire that males could basically have sex with whatever they wanted. 
if they were a Roman citizen. And that included underage boys. Right. And a lot of the homosexuality was just like, I'm horny and I'm just going to have sex with whatever. There was that part of it. There was also a strange kind of, and I mean, I learned this stuff in college. It's been a while. I'm trying to dust it off of my brain, but there's also this kind of strange, like Greek, uh, Greek kind of practice of your proteges you're having sex with as well, which right. then leads to equally bad interpretations by secular non-Christian people today of saying like, uh, of trying to equate that with modern homosexuality, which is, that's just, you're just using a different modern archetype to com compare those kind of relationships to homosexual homosexual relationships today. I don't, I don't think they equate at all. Par partially because our relationships today are all born out of a, the romantic period, which, yeah. which is another, that adds to the whole thing of, we just view sexuality completely different. And some, a lot of it's unhealthy. A lot of it's just, it's pure pleasure. We've taken away the practicalness of it because of science because of medicine, modern medicine, you know, back in the day you had many babies because it was planned. It was just assumed a lot of them were going to die. And if they didn't, it just meant you had a bunch of people to help around the house managing whatever it took to keep the household, whether you had a small one or a big one. There yeah. was more people to tend to the managing either from an ag, from hunter, hunting, hunting and gathering. And again, you just assumed a lot of them were going to die off because of lack of medicine. And we don't have that problem anymore. Children don't die off. And so we don't have it. We don't need to have 14 babies because we think a bunch of them might not make it to 25. Yeah. Uh, and we don't have problems. Of, we don't look at the worldview of uh, firstborn getting everything. Yeah. And we don't look at females as a way of selling off to increase the family wealth through a dowry. Yeah, no. We don't have those problems. And so we now have this modern issue of people not having enough children because we don't have the practical issues. It's just like, no, I see it as a net negative to my bank account. So how many do I want to have? And I think we're doing it to our detriment Um where we're depriving ourselves of a lot of the joy of having children, but I it's not like I don't understand the quandary we're in. We are not dealing with any of those things. And so I think that adds to the confusion you and I and a lot of people who are honestly struggling with how do I view not only just homosexuality, but heterosexuality in a 21st century worldview it's not the same. No, definitely not. Male-female relationships are different. Sexual relationships are different. There's some positives to how we view sex. There's a whole lot of negatives. Yeah. Uh, you know, back then, if you wanted to do porn, you actually had to go to the Temple of Diana and pay someone for it. <laughs> you had to go get it at a. You had to go get a prostitute, and now you don't even need a prostitute. You can just watch it on the internet. Yeah. And. So I would say let's wrap that portion of the podcast up by just saying I think it's for those of you who are still very uh, traditional in your worldview, 
I actually respect you. I understand why. Um, but if we're maintaining, if we're trying to move forward in this Jesus-centered, Jesus-collective worldview, be understanding of those who are saying, I'm not sure of myself anymore. Yeah. And I'm not off put by those who are pushing the boundary beyond what I'm personally comfortable with. And I'm not saying they're right, and I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm also not saying if those who maybe aren't ending up being right, they're not outside of Christianity. They're just trying to figure out Christianity in this new, crazy social uh, worldview that we have, yeah. that everyone's frankly trying to figure out. Even if you're not a believer, you can be someone who's never set foot in church, and you're having a hard time with male-female relationships in the workplace, homosexuality, all that kind of stuff. We're not the only ones dealing with it. Yeah, <clears throat> We're just holding on to the idea that somehow this ancient book is what we hold on to as our worldview today, and it has all the answers to it. And I don't think that that's... We don't think that that's accurate. We thank you for listening to the Go to Hell podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And I, like I said, we're now on YouTube. I think we'll be on Rumble this week. Wow. And then you can pick us up on Instagram. We're posting either tidbits. Uh, we're trying to do Beer of the Week every week on Instagram. Yes, it's a cheap way of trying to get more views because people are like, oh, these guys like beer. What else is the podcast about? <coughs> um, we also did a little snippet from our youtube conversation last week that was just on instagram uh and then those snippets are on youtube on uh, youtube as well so subscribe rate and review so more people can find out and please 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 send us comments questions emails at all the places that are mentioned on the podcast and elsewhere and i don't know how to tell people to go to hell today just go to hell just go to hell all right